Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with a filmmaker by the name of Jeff Morrison. He is a, uh, I guess, owner and operator of Big Cedar Films. You need to check them out online. That's BigCedarFilms.com. And we talked today about a, a CBC doc, a first-hand doc that's actually online, and you can get access to it at CBC.ca called The Missing Tourist. You'll you'll remember this story once you start to get into the interview, and I don't want you to miss this one. You need to you need to stay tuned. Uh, Jeff is a thoughtful filmmaker. It's a great film. You need to see it uh, for a variety of reasons. But we talk about a little a little bit about everything, and we kind of start in Yellowknife. We we talk about the the the, the notion of story and of 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 um, how about something called forest bathing, which I've certainly never heard before, uh, heard of before. But we talk about about closure and about mental health issues, and 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 um, I guess really what it means to be human, you know, and and finding our way back home. And for those of you who've been listening to my podcast over the years, you know that definitely is a theme for me. So stay tuned. Uh, Jeff Morrison and the film is The Missing Tourist coming right up. And don't forget davidpecklive.com for more podcasts, uh, information about my writing, and uh, you can support uh, what we do through patreon.com there. And don't forget rabble.ca as well for more interesting podcasts from face to face, but also from others too. Coming right up, Jeff Morrison and The Missing Tourist. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest today, another filmmaker. Imagine that, another filmmaker here on uh, Face to Face today with us uh, from Toronto. We've got Jeff Morrison with us, uh, and we're here to talk about his new film, The Missing Tourist. Jeff, thanks for your time today. No, thank you, David. Happy to happy to speak with you. And I think appropriately, you're sitting in a studio right now, are you not? I am sitting in a sound studio, actually the uh, the studio where we uh, we mix the film. <laughs> where you mix the film? Well, how how vacant right now? How cool and how appropriate is that? So you're in a, you're kind of in a sound booth then. I am. I uh, so it probably sounds okay. It sounds very good, actually. Yes. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. No, it's good. Well, listen. Uh, thanks, and 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 congratulations on the film. If I can say that about a film like this, um, it must have been quite the the project and quite the uh, the trip, as it were, to to uh, well, as in any film, I suppose, from you know beginning idea to to end to seeing it to to seeing it live. Uh, um, can I say congratulations? 
Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, I'm I'm quite pleased with where where we ended up with the film and uh, and the way that it's been not just received, but also the way it's been perceived. But I think uh, that was something I was a little bit anxious about, and uh, I'm very happy to see the response to it. Oh, that's great. And while we're on the, that idea, let's we'll get back to the perception thing in a second. But just a little plug, um, it, it, it's a first-hand doc, CBC, and apparently going to be uh, available for six years going forward online as of March the 2nd. That's correct. Or as long as they keep it up online, <laughs> cbc.ca slash firsthand. Right, or as long as they keep it up online. <laughs> Excellent. Very good. So, so tell me, you know, I mean, let's, let's go right at what, what pulls you into a story like this? Is it, I mean, there's so many components. This is a story that had a, a lot of press, uh, at Sumi, uh, Yoshikubu, uh, a Japanese tourist who comes to Yellowknife. She disappears. It turns into this mystery, this crime story, et cetera. So many elements. And by the way, I loved your film. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Um, yeah, thanks very much. Really loved it. I, I love, uh, the, 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 there's, um, Hmm. Have you seen Have you seen Rectify? I haven't seen. Okay, Rectify. Rectify is a series you need to look at. Anyway, there there is a tone, there's a sense in your film this this uh, that 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 really spoke to me. Uh, the cinematography, the 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 way you edited, uh, the, the the almost the barrenness <laughs> and the beauty. Uh, no, that's part of it for sure. Yeah, yeah, really spoke to me. So so what what pulls you in? Is is like are you some sort of crime journalist? No, this is a project unlike anything I've ever gotten hmm. involved in before. Um, I think what pulled me in, you know, as someone who followed this story and heard about it I was, uh, as it was unfolding in 2014 and then as it uh, popped back up into the news back in 2015 as well, I think, you know, just as you kind of described, the, the elements of the story on the surface are very compelling. Oh, yeah. um, you know, a tourist has come from Japan to... Yellowknife, this you know remote and beautiful place in, in Canada's far north, and she's gone missing. So I think that that enticed a lot of people from the beginning, and that's part of why this became such a big media story at the time. And you know, five Japanese news crews came to Yellowknife to cover the story. It uh, it had had an impact. Sure. Um, but I think what really drew me in was seeing that there was more beneath the surface. That uh, this is a story that unfolded in a very unusual way. There were some details that weren't revealed to the public. And I think um, because there wasn't a lot, a lot of information shared, I think it made it very difficult for people um, who were following the story, particularly you know the town of Yellowknife, uh, to get closure on it. And so when I got involved, I, I started talking to a lot of people that uh, were close to the story or who'd covered it and, um, and really tried to see what else I could find out um, so I could add some context to it. and perhaps bring about a little bit more closure but um there's there was a real there's a sense of purpose to it you know it wasn't mm. just to cover what what seemed on the surface to be a sensational story so is this is this um very different from from some of the other work that you've done by the way uh your company big cedar films you guys have been involved in narrative and doc and so on and tv and film um do you become a private investigator I mean, I mean, I guess that's kind of the job of a documentarian, either way. But with yeah. a story like this, it seems like you got you got to have your magnifying glass out, don't you? Yeah, that's part of it. There's definitely a, there's definitely a, a large element of that trying to trying to piece things together. You know, talking to as many people as I could. Um, you know, whether it's journalists, witnesses. Um, you know, trying to understand the background of this subject by uh, you know locating people in Japan that knew her, 
um, trying to speak to the authorities in Yellowknife, which was not easy from the hmm. get-go, and hmm. something that only kind of came together in the end. Um, just knowing that there was more to this story than what had been reported, and there was more that I, I thought uh, could be shared with the public. Um, yeah, it's a uh, like I said, it's very, I've never been involved in a project that had such an investigative uh, bent, and uh, or you know, from the um, a filmmaker's point of view, that was so composed. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's kind of a, a different thing for me as well. So I really really relish that opportunity. I think but, you know, um, there's so yeah, many... trying to track it down. It's, it's a challenge. Yeah, no kidding. And I think, I guess that's the, the, the burden or the, the beauty, I suppose, of, of, of being a documentarian and, 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 and finding the story in the first place, right? And then and then what are the connections? And, oh, how about this person? And we didn't know that that person was connected. And how many times do you hear about a doc film or a great doc film? Well, we didn't really know what we were going to film going in, but it kind of revealed itself. Yeah, you hear that a lot. What's what's kind of interesting about this is, um, you know, I, I credit the CBC for giving me the space and uh, a little bit of funding to develop this project. Um, they were certainly enticed by the idea, but there was a lot of work that needed to be done before I could start filming. Right, right. And, um, you know, I conducted a number of number of interviews, a couple dozen interviews um, during a development phase. And you know, out of those interviews, I was able to really get a sense of what the story was and then what might be a good structure to explore the story. So when I actually started filming in, in June of 2016, towards the end of June, I had a good idea of the story that I was going to find and the story that I wanted to tell, but I didn't really know how it was all going to fall into place. Right. There were still a lot of question marks. I didn't sure. really know much about the story in Japan. Um, and I didn't have any access to the authorities at that point. So there were definitely a, a few holes in that. But uh, certainly from the from the moment we started filming, there was, there was a, a good idea of what the story was going to be. So so I hope we've created enough of a sense of mystery in our listeners now that they desperately <laughs> want to see the film. Because we really haven't said a word about what the film's about other than her name, Japanese tourist, Yellowknife, um, you know, authorities. You know, there's this sort of this edge to our conversation. How much do we how, how much do we spill the beans here? Uh, I'm, I'm happy to go right into it. Okay. Well, let's um, spill. You know, maybe so, we, we can leave, uh, leave the ending. For, uh, <laughs> but, um, that's right. But that yeah, cliffhanger, no, that right nail biter ending. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, by all means. Let's, uh, let's yeah. Go. So, so give us an overview of the story. So we're in Yellowknife. What, why are all these Japanese tourists coming to Yellowknife? Let's start there. Yeah. That was something I didn't know about. When yeah. I neither did I. Uh, and I think that's one of the uh, elements that stood out to me from the get go, which, in the end, was not all that unusual. So Yellowknife is one of the best located centers in the world to view the Aurora Borealis. It's it's located uh, on this this ring around the, the northern part of the uh, uh, of the planet that uh, is is just known and just gets much more clear and like bright opportunities to view the northern lights. So for years, Japanese tourists have been coming to Yellowknife. There's more people come to Yellowknife from Japan than almost any other country. I know hmm. the market's increasing with tourists coming from Korea and China right now, but there's a, a long history of Japanese tourists coming to Yellowknife. What was unusual about this case uh, is that there's a high season. The, the winter coming into December, January, February, March, you, you can't get a hotel room in Yellowknife. It's that busy with tourists wow. to see the northern lights. There's also a low season. Of course, in the summertime, when the you're, you're getting nearly 24 hours of daylight, and October and into November, when you get more cloudier days in those months than other times of the year. So, this person had come in the off season. 
they don't also come by themselves, which is right. also very unusual. Like 99% of Japanese tourists that come to Yellowknife either come in groups or come with a partner. Um, so there are a few facts that kind of stood out as unusual from the get-go. And, um, and then when she had gone missing, uh, nobody really knew who she was or where she had come from. They just know, knew that um, she was gone. And so I think for the, the authorities in Yellowknife, they had to really pick up the trail as quickly as they could. And right. I think they found that quite challenging, too, because, you know, Yellowknife is, is quite far north. So the time of year that she was there, winter was starting to come on, it was starting to snow, and it made tracking a missing person very difficult. So it's, it's, it's a, you, you talked about closure, and, yeah. you know, it seems like, and you bring the family into this uh, conversation in Japan, uh, you've got RCMP, you've got some other, do- she was a doctor, uh, uh, you've got other doctors involved. There seems to be one guy who really is seeking closure in this story more than most. He's uh, the, 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 the journalist, the one journalist mm-hmm. at least, and maybe maybe everybody shared that sense of, of, of uncertainty. Where, where do you land um, at the end of this, you know, is, you know, closure to the film, I suppose. And, you know, it airs and reception has been good. And, uh, but, but what about you from a, from a lack of certainty? Where, where do you stand? Uh, like I, I feel, I feel okay about it now. I, you know, there's, there's a, there's a couple different levels of closure, I think in the, in this, in this story, there's, there's closure on, on a personal level. This is someone who has gone missing and, uh, you know, is, uh, Ultimately, uh, it's it's a very tragic story when you when you learn what mm-hmm. uh, what has happened to this person. But I think there's there's closure on another level, and this is something that I really tried to inject into the film. And that this was a story that was um, you know that really played out in the media. Uh, when someone goes missing, uh, these stories are always covered uh, quite extensively in the media. And uh, the public, for the most part, their relationships with these stories is mediated by the news, the television news, the right. newspapers, social media. And what happened in this story that I thought was particularly interesting is that there was a real absence of information. There was a there was most of the information that the uh, that the news media gets is from the authorities, and in right. this case, the authorities weren't offering a lot of information, particularly at a at a juncture in in the story where there were a lot of questions. So, you know, after this woman had been missing for about nine days, the authorities called off the search and they declared that she had arrived in Yellowknife with a plan to go into the wilderness alone and become a missing person, and that she'd taken steps towards not being found. Right. And this left most people in Yellowknife just dumbfounded, totally perplexed. None of the reporters I spoke to could make any sense of it. Most of the people I, uh, you know, the people in the public I spoke to in Yellowknife couldn't make sense of it either. And so there were a lot of questions, um, but the authorities didn't have any answers. So I think as as far as this, this played out as a story in the news, it made it very difficult to get closure because there was a real absence of information. So you know, that was that was a big part of what I wanted to explore, as well as you know the story of this person who'd come here from Japan. From Japan, I wanted to look at the ways in which we experience missing person stories through the news and how we were able to get closure, particularly in a case like this where there's an absence of information. One of one of the guys who doesn't seem to get closure is Japanese, um, who who talks about you know you know maybe she's going to show up again you know mm-hmm. one day in front of my face. And I think you 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 did a couple of interviews there where they were back to back and um, um, stuffed animals come into play in the film yeah. in, in a big way, which is really quite lovely. Uh, but one of the, one of the the Japanese men said, "quote I think human beings always seek for comfort somewhere." Close quote. 
and I just and and while he was holding some of these stuffed animals, that 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 uh, there was just something really quite um, hmm, um, tragic and beautiful about that moment. And I wonder, did you have that idea going in that this film ultimately was going to be, you know, even though the tragic story as it plays out is is so real and and, and in our face. But there's also this, for me anyway, Jeff, there was a real celebration uh, of life and yeah. and how we all have this ability to make a difference. I mean, I, you know, there's about 19 questions, by the way, here, uh, all coming <laughs> one after the other. But even, even and I want to get to what Carrie said, Carrie Reel's comment about the, the last person to see this woman alive that we know of, you know, about about the ability for all of us to make a difference in somebody's life. Um, I just thought it was really beautiful how this man said, I think human beings always seek for comfort somewhere. Mm -hmm. I thought that was, it was a really telling statement, um, particularly as, uh, you know, I, I really didn't know that much about this woman's past and about her journey until we got to Japan. And to, um, to hear him say that in the interview, it's, uh, I, I found it to be quite quite profound because as we learned about what her life was like back in, in Kumamoto and Uto in southern Japan, and then particularly in, in Tokyo, where really we we're just kind of like scratching the surface on what her mm. what her experience was like there. But you know, as we spoke to um, you know some of her coworkers in Tokyo and some people that had known her while she was working at some of these clinics, there was a bit of a pattern that emerged. As we spoke to her brother about how she was become estranged from the family. Um, knowing that she was a doctor, knowing that she cared deeply about her patients, you know, to hear that this is a celebration of life, I think that's quite true. You know, I, I went to Tokyo to try and find remembrances of this woman. I wanted to paint a picture of her that was much brighter and more colorful than just, you know, a face in the news, you know, someone on a right. person poster. And that comment in particular, and I'm, I'm glad you noticed that. It, it really stuck out to me because... You know, well, I mean, what's really cool to me is there's a sense in which, and no disrespect to the fact that, you know, uh, she's no longer with us, uh, but there's a sense in which she wasn't a missing person. Does does that make sense? Um, like, she she touched these people's lives. Yeah. She actually had an impact. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is, this is right up my alley, as my listeners will know. You know, we all have this ability to make a difference in the world. The little things make, you know, uh, can make a big difference. Incremental change and, and, and tipping point, you know, let's go Malcolm Gladwell. But, you know, the importance of actually making, you know, human contact with others. And mm -hmm. who knows what was going through her mind or, or what her plans really, truly were. And as we find out, it, it, it's still quite a mystery. But... But I think for me, that celebration was, wow, this woman had an impact. Yeah. And she, and, she, and maybe she didn't know. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to say. Like, it's, it's clear that she certainly touched people. She was, uh, everyone who we met who sort of knew of her professionally, you know, commented on how, how sweet she was. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, there's a, there's a particular anecdote, and, it, you know, it goes on for a little while um, from one of her former patients where he describes the first time that he met her professionally. Right. And how she was uh, so deliberate about uh, having these stuffed animals there, these items that people see comfort in, and right. putting a sign on the door saying not to be disturbed, just seeing how um, thought out everything was in her practice and how much she cared for him and how much she helped him. And then hearing you know, from her other colleague and uh, the other director of the hospital, again, how professional she was and um, how loved she was by her patients. They painted a real, real picture of this person that we hadn't seen necessarily in, in the coverage uh, in the news. So 
you know, I think it's it's important to to make that you know make that known. And is that is that something that um, became more uh, of a focus for you as you got deeper into the story? Would you say, hey, I want to I want to make this statement about about journalism as a general rule that we really do only scratch the surface that there's you know one of the thoughts i had was as as the film played out was wow it's just it really truly is fascinating how we all have such intricate stories mm-hmm. you know the lies we've led the the high school photos <laughs> you know mm-hmm. all these connections and these beautiful things that we just kind of um almost walk on by yeah with regard to you know, and, and for, and again, I'm going to go back to the celebration of life for me, which to me is kind of ironic and sort of paradoxical based on not only the location and the geography and the way you shot the film and cross cut it and so on, but, but, but also, um, yeah, just a reminder that man, it's, it's worth staying in the moment. Maybe more often than not mindfulness is the way forward, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I, I think I was I was fortunate to have uh, you know a certain format to to work in. I right. think being able to give this story a proper documentary treatment, yeah. I think is is giving it the the justice that it it probably needed, and uh, you know gave people close to the story um, the closure, hopefully that they, that they were seeking. Do you um you know you used you used the phrase uh, remote and beautiful place, mm-hmm. and you were clearly referring to the geography, no doubt. Yes. Of, of, of Yellowknife. I've had no, I mean, you know, with all, again, all due respect to Yellowknifeians everywhere, don't have a whole lot of desire to go there um, in the near future. However, you really do um, communicate what a, what a beautiful yet barren place this really is. And I just kind of wondered as you were making the film, how intentional that was, uh, you know, metaphorically, you know, about, I don't know, just about us, you know, each and every one of us, the human condition. I mean, mental health issues play a significant role in your film. Um, is that, does that make any contact with reality? Uh, to, to a certain extent. Uh, you know, in some ways, like, I wanted the film to be quite grounded. Like, I, we, we, we filmed Yellowknife as we, as we saw it and experienced it there. And, uh, we, you know, we tried to cover the, uh, the, the story with, um, you know, what, uh, an experience might be like there and, uh, and what you might see if, you know, with, with these related images. Um, you know, there's a, it's funny during the development phase, I kind of went down a path exploring, uh, the idea of like nature and forest as, as therapy. Right. And, uh, thinking about how, um, that is how it is traditionally viewed, particularly in, in Japan, there's a uh, practice called Shrinrin Yoku, which is the art of, like, it's also known as forest bathing and going in for, hmm. for therapeutic reasons, spending time. In, in Sorry, did you say, Jeff, did you say forest breathing? Forest bathing. Oh, forest bathing. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, the practice of uh, going into the forest and, you know, rejuvenating oneself sure. and one's soul and coming out and feeling a little bit stronger and more more energized. And I thought one of the interesting things to perhaps explore in this story is the idea of going into the forest, not necessarily for the inverse reason, but, um, you know, as, as a way, you know, as, as a decision, as a very conscious decision to, to end one's life. And um, it ended up not being a, a, a like a viable thread to explore in terms of the therapeutic reasons, but uh, right. it certainly led to more research into 
into the latter and uh, and people who choose to end their lives in such a place, at least in in Japan. Yeah, well, I loved I love the. Um... And I guess we're kind of tipping our hat a little bit here, but not so much. We're going to leave a little element of mystery, I think, to the interview and the conversation. But we, you do talk to, a, which I was surprised there's even someone with this title, but a suicidologist. Mm-hmm. And in and in Japan, there's this sense of, um, you know, she talked about uh, distinct distinct cultural patterns and people just sort of wanting dis- to disappear. And you even bring this idea into the film of some people just want to disappear temporarily. They just want to see if if they are loved, if they are included, if they are embraced by others, and yet and yet there's this sense in in Japan at least that there's there's no moral judgment, um, or or any kind of uh, you know condemnation attached to it, if if you want to disappear into the forest and and, and not return. I, th- I found that really fascinating. Yeah, it's it's it, I, I found it very fascinating too. I thought it was a very worthwhile point to to contemplate and to at least throw out there and um, give the give the viewer a chance to really digest and, and process as it relates to this story. You know, it's it's hard to to look at it and not hear it as as a generalization of such, right. and, and and it very much is, right? Like right. I think um, there are traditional attitudes and perceptions about suicide in Japan that are changing, and I think it's it's long been a very uh, very important and critical critical issue there, and. You know, it's it's content, content, constantly evolving, and perceptions about it are changing as well. But that is that is a characteristic of how I guess it has been traditionally perceived and, and understood in Japan. There's a sense for me, and um, that that this film was about um, at least this is what it played for, like to me anyway, as I watched it. And I know so much, so often a great film is about what you bring to the table and the place and the space and the context you find yourself in when you're actually watching it. But there was a sense of, of um, hmm, find, find, finding, finding your way home. You know, you go, you go on a trip, you're, you're a tourist to find something else and something other, but there's this, always this wonderful sense of, oh, well, I, I know I'm going to come back home or, you know, anytime I've been camping, there's a sense of, you know, wanting to get back home. And, and I just kind of wonder if, if that was an intentional, um, um, you know, from as a director and, and the writer of the film, if you if you kind of had that theme or that idea as well, uh, because it certainly seems to play out in you know the the in in a variety of ways. You know, mm-hmm. Car- Car- Carrie saying uh, that you know she should have stopped and she should have helped this person. I mean, I think this idea of you know kind of this idea of we're all in it together, right? This community. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm completely nuts to drawing some of these conclusions on the film, but that's 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 kind of where I went. Yeah, that's you know I, I think something that's it's certainly mentioned in the film, but that uh, that came out in every interview I did in Yellowknife is how much people cared about her there, mm-hmm. how much they care about people that come to come to visit Yellowknife. A few people pointed out to me how you know they moved there from the Maritimes or the GTA, and they have family and friends here, and they never come to visit. So when you have a tourist that's going to come there from the other side of the world to come and spend money and spend their time there and enjoy the place that you're very proud of and that you enjoy living in it, it means a lot and so you know this is the first time that something like this that had happened uh certainly under under these circumstances so i think people cared quite deeply about her and really really wanted her found safely you know that sense of uh of coming home though i think that's uh it is it was quite quite intentional um as the film 
plays out in, in a very purely linear fashion. Mm-hmm. And from the point when we leave Yellowknife, the thing's still quite muddled, not really sure what mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. There, There is a sense, and I hope to leave the viewer with a sense, like we need to come back and wrap this up and figure out what's going on. Uh, to me, it felt like a good time to have a bit of a departure and go to Japan and add some more context and fill in some of the gaps in the background. But, you know, my hope is that you, you will feel like we're going to get some closure and we're going to get there. and We're going to come back to Yellowknife and find out how this is resolved. I love, you know, we, we, we will, we'll, I guess we'll probably wrap it up, uh, wrap things up here shortly. And I know you got another meeting coming up, Jeff, but I, the, the, this idea that, that, that we all matter, you know, that every person matters that, you know, in fact, right near the end of the film, I think it's, uh, somebody again from Yellowknife who, who, as you say, there's this community, she was talking about volunteers coming together to, 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 to try to find this woman and to, 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 you know, just, this is our community. This is what we're made of out here. But she talked about this idea of, you know, if the, you know if somebody's in crisis, there's always one person out there who can help. And it just really struck a serious chord with me in the context of a film like this. And it makes you wonder to what degree uh, somebody like Atsumi was, was maybe, maybe reaching out, but maybe not. And I guess that's part of the uncertainty. And that's that's maybe where the lack of closure, I, I suppose, um, you know, comes to bear. Yeah, I, I, I think the film gives as much closure as we can possibly right. have on this story. Yeah, um, trying to end on a on a moment of of, of hope to a certain right. degree as much sure. as you can on, on a story like this. Um, it's it's difficult, you know. Uh, there there are elements of this story where we will will never absolutely know for sure. Um, you know, I think there's some really uh, important uh, points that are made towards the end of the film, which uh, don't quite blow things back out in the open again, but uh, hopefully leave the viewer with, um, you know, an idea of, uh, of like what, of, of like what it's like to actually process a story like this mm-hmm. and, and how you deal with that when you never are able to really get all of the facts, you know, you have to sort of take what you can get and, uh, and find as much closure in that as you can. Um, it's uh, it's difficult, uh, you know. I think we we certainly did the best we could with the film to try and uh, inform the viewer as much as possible about what about what, it, what had happened. But um, you know, I think with a lot of uh, like with a lot of like, you know, mental health issues, it's really there there are intangible factors. Yeah, it's hard to truly truly know. Well, I I think it's a beautiful metaphor for life. However sad or tragic it really is, I think the film is a metaphor for life. I, I mean, honestly, how 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 often do we not get closure? Right? We want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but we scramble for it. It's what we kind of live for. It seems to me. You know, uh, it's in our film. It's in our advertising. It's in it's in our fiction. It's 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 in our conversation. But well, that's you know that's I think that's a big part of this film too. Is like you know and someone in the film iterates it. People want to know, you know, yeah. something like this happens, like yeah. someone goes missing. Anytime there's a story that, that's really blown up in, in the media, you want to know. You have this inherent human curiosity to know what yes. happened yes. and what the details are. And, you know, I think sometimes it's important to to take a step back and, and look at what, sh- not just that you want to know, but what do you need to know? Like, right. What do you need to be able to get that's closure? Good. Yeah. And um, sometimes you don't need all the details. And I think this was a case where, you may not have needed all the details, but I think you needed more than what were what were available to the public at the time. Right. 
Well, I think it's a honestly, I, I, Jeff. I, it's a beautiful film. It's it's challenged me on a certain level. It's gonna it's gonna stay with me, and I think that's that's uh, uh, speaks to a, the power of a great film and a great story. And uh, and again, you know, uh, and and what a legacy too, right? For for this young woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a. I'm not sure. It's a, that's an I don't know that's an interesting. You're not, yeah, no, no, go, go. It know, sounds like you're not buying my legacy comment. That's good. Well, I mean, she, you know, you. I'd say out of all the people I met in Yellowknife, like ninety-eight percent of the people I met were very encouraged by this project and thought that yeah. it could do some do some good. And, sure. Uh, and that it was a story that that should be told and could could benefit from having this kind of treatment. But there's you know, without a doubt, there's going to be people that are going to see it. And, and you know, even some people that I encounter that um, would have rather let this one lay, you know, hmm. um, thinking that, you know, sure, this is a tragedy, but like, let's, let's not talk about this. And uh, who knows what this, this woman's wishes were and whether she would even be happy with something like this. And that's something that I've, that's really weighed on me and that I've wrestled with I bet. while making this whole film. And um, so I don't know to, uh, I think it makes makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable to think of it as a as a legacy to the to this person. But um, I I'm happy that there's a more colored picture. You know, we understand a little bit more about who this woman was and where she was coming from, what her experience was, and how she touched people in her life. Yeah, that I, that I think is. I guess important. by by legacy, I guess I mean more. Uh, it's 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 at least a hopeful way to not 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 to find closure necessarily. But maybe a stepping stone to to something else and something other, especially when, you know, I can see how that makes sense, though, from a personal, especially when you start meeting family members. Right. I mean, it cha- that must have changed everything for you, you know, in, a, in such an intimate story like this. But I guess yeah, I, I just mean from a sort of a I don't know, a more. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hopeful kind of... Um, there is some good that can be drawn from this, right? I think so, and you know, I really had to I had to balance that balance of interest. And, I bet uh, balance my my feelings towards that. Having um, certainly having the the support and participation of uh, of her brother was was really critical. Having his voice in the film is is absolutely critical. But uh, just knowing that he was okay with us doing this and and what our intentions were uh, made us feel like we were on slightly more stable ground mm. and um, or more emotional ground. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, it's, that's, that's been something that I've, I've certainly uh, had to wrestle with. 
Well, I think you, uh, for what it's worth, I think you handled handled it beautifully, and I think you've you've uh, you know you've directed and produced a, a meaningful and a, a thoughtful film, man. I really do, and I want to thank you for it. And cra- congratulations again um, on the missing tourist. Uh, I've been talking to Jeff Morrison here today on Face to Face. Thank thanks a lot, uh, uh, Jeff. I appreciate your time. Um, hey, um, Big Cedar Films is is all you. Is that right? Uh, yes. I'm the principal of Big Cedar Films. And can we say at least that you've got something coming up at Hot Docs in the very near future? Um, we probably can't, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's totally fine. That's an ambiguous comment in, in that's itself. Right. But, uh, nice. No, I'm very excited about the stuff um, I'm working on right now. Uh, I think now's a really exciting time for a documentary. I think audiences are really opening themselves up to new forms yeah. of documentary and, and new approaches and... Uh, there's so many new platforms and ways to find documentary films and documentary stories. Um, it's a very exciting time to be, um, you know, making nonfiction work. So it's cool. We're excited. <laughs> well, thank, thanks for your time. Jeff Morrison today on the missing tourist. It's on firsthand. Uh, you can get it on cbc.ca. Uh, check it out. Missing tourist and may, may actually be there for the next six years. Uh, thanks for your time today, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, David. Thanks for all the, the thoughts you you put into the film. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. 